0: Let me jump into, it's going to take me a couple of weeks to get through this, okay? Uh, my sermons are seem to be getting longer and longer. Uh, so I just bust them up. They just become series. That's That works. It works for me. So I want to speak over this next little bit. And hey, uh, happy Jersey Sunday to everybody. Uh, glad to see you. Glad to see everybody, Jersey Sunday. If you're wondering why in the world is he wearing that? Uh, it's, it's Jersey Sunday and there'll be people all day. You'll see, that will have their favorite jerseys on and different teams. And, and, uh, we pick on the Cowboys a little bit during this time because, you know, we, we tell people, we tell people heaven will be populated with Cowboy fans because there is no group anywhere that has more faith than that group. So that is, that is like, they are built on faith. So, so we pick at them, we have fun and, uh, and, and just, just have some good humor with it. And, uh, and. Like I say, that's the, that's the fun part of living life. Thank you to everybody who helped last night through our uh, youth. And I, I just want to applaud the youth. I want to applaud all of them who performed, all of those who worked, all of those who gave their time, the college career, those who helped, uh, adults who jumped in, family, uh, parents of that group that cooked and did everything. I, I cannot call names. I don't want to because I, it's just it took so many people to make last night happen. And to watch, you know, 150, 100 people, whatever's in there, all the chairs were just about full. And even on a rainy night, it was just an incredible time, and um, and we had a blast. And and you say, well, why don't you do that? Why why don't you? And I was sitting there with Elise, and I said, you know what? That group now, because they've been on that stage in front of 100 something people and having to dance in front of them or just be be uncomfortable, I said, you can take them, to... them to a mission situation, you can take them, and they're not afraid to do anything anymore. Because not only can they do it, but they realize that they can do it well. And so that's part of why we have some of the craziness in what we do. It's, it's not just so we can watch you do footloose. It's so that you realize, I can do, I can do a lot more than I thought I could. And I can, I can be a, a bigger blessing than I thought I could. And here at All Seasons, that's what we're here to do, to help you become the very best that you can be. And so thank you to all of y'all who who worked so hard uh, uh Randy Christie, Greg and Joanna, those who lead that group and just thank you so much for, for all the work that you did. All right, before I get all tearful cuz man I was I was that, I was fired up. I was glad to be pastor lot last night. I was that was one of the highlights of my life. So, as I said, I want to speak these next couple of weeks. It'll take me a, a couple of weeks cuz I want to split it in half. And we're going to talk about saved, sanctified and nothing to lose, is that all right? So that's going to be the title: Saved, Sanctified, and Nothing to Lose. There's a, there's a process. I'm 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 big spirit. Love moving, love going. But there's also a process that is built into everything that uh, as I'm moving, that keeps me from falling. That keeps me from, from from messing up along in the journey. It's not just all emotions. It's not all just uh, just just how I feel at the moment. That's one of the things that I enjoyed. I enjoyed having our, our uh, state representative, our, our administrative bishop with us last night. He came with his wife to come enjoy the thing. And so, so some of you that are part of the church, you wouldn't there. Man, I have people all coming from out of town to come to these things. And, and so it was just great to have him there. But he had just had a conference that we had gone to, and he had brought in some different kind of people this time. Usually it's, it's more evangelistic. Usually it's, it's man, it's, it's a whole lot of altar work and a whole lot of excitement, a whole lot of... And, and during these sessions, it was more people that was challenging them to do a process, to, to start something, to, to, to not just get emotional, but, but be strategic. And, and I know that sounds odd, but they work together. There, there's, there's a system, there's a, there's a process that goes right along with all the emotion. They have to work together for you to be able to be successful following God. And so just like in the, in the kingdom life, there's a process. We, through the uh, church I grew up in, the Church of God, our, our denomination, man, we used to have this favorite phrase, you know, you'd stand up, give you a testimony. If you didn't know what to say, if you didn't have kind of like had it down, like I want to thank the Lord for this and it says in this, I mean, you just always had the same, some person would stand up and say, I thank God that I'm saved, sanctified, filled with a good Holy Ghost and a member of the great church of God. And they would sit down everybody would give, oh man, that's all. And, and, and it was a process of understanding that they knew that, okay, I have walked through the process In this spiritual walk, I have walked through the steps to know that I am mature enough to be able to defend or to fight. And so this story that I'm going to share with you in the book of 2 Kings, beginning at chapter 6, is where we will begin. In this story that will cover chapter 6 and chapter 7, as you can see why I can't do it all in one time, it will take me just a little while to get through chapter 6 and 7. But I want to cover this and show you how Elisha is different than Elijah. Elijah is more like God. And Elisha is more like Christ. They both are accomplishing and and working toward the same thing. They both are trying to turn their people toward. But you know the stories of Elijah. He doesn't deal with small things very much. Elijah doesn't really really get down into the weeds and deal with individuals. Elijah's about telling King Ahab, hey, you're the reason for this. I mean, he's calling down fire on Mount Carmel. He's he's the he's the big guy. He, I mean, when he leaves, he doesn't just like die. Elisha dies eventually. Elisha just dies and they throw him in a cave. You know, that's the way it works. He's more symbolic of Jesus in the process. Elijah, he, he just has a whole chariot come down the fire and just he just rides up back with an angel. I mean, it, it's a totally different scenario and yet they're both accomplishing the same thing. So more relatable to us and more relatable to the New Testament is Elisha. Elisha is much more transferable to what we are. And I'm going to show that to you through the process of what Elisha does in this being saved, sanctified, and what we call filled with the Holy Spirit, but nothing to lose. I've reached a stage in my life, I got nothing to lose to lose. That's what Paul says later when he says, whether I live or whether I die. You know what? I'm not losing either way. I've got nothing to lose anymore. And as Christians, that's what we want to reach. We want to reach a point to where we can say, I got nothing to lose. Man, I, I, I don't fear anything anymore. I'm not worried about what's going on in this world. I'm not worried about, I know God has a plan and I'm following out that plan. So let me jump into this and let's, let's, let's move along." So the first step in our process of this spiritual walk that we have to have is the understanding of being saved. It is this true understanding of being redeemed, being found from being lost. And so begin with me in chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Here we go. And the sons of the prophet said to Elisha, see now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make there a place where we may dwell. Now it's amazing how is totally different. E- e- Elijah is, is somebody they don't get close to, he's, he's not very approachable. In fact, remember the last day of Elijah's life? Elisha's tagging along and Elijah's constantly like, You stay here, I'm going on. And Elisha's like, As the Lord lives, wherever you go, I'm going to go. And everywhere Elijah goes, you stay here. Don't, don't, don't quit following me. Look, just stay here. The other prophets aren't trying to follow him either because he's untouchable. He's this, he's this way above touchable person. And and he's the person that calls down fire. He's the person that, and so, and so they look at Elijah and they they pull Elisha to the side because they're a little closer to him and they're like, you know, the master's leaving today. You know, God's done spoke to all of us. It ain't just him. He spoke to all of us. You know, he's leaving today. And he's like, I know. Shh, hush. And he follows him some more And he follows him some more But Elisha is like the, the great teacher He's not just, just this person who is a great prophet He also is, think of it like a university He's the favorite faculty person he is the favorite teacher in the campus. He is the college dean. He is the one that if they are asking questions, he's the one they go to. He is this person who is just approachable, this person just like Jesus in the New Testament when they came and asked him questions all the time. Elisha has this personality. Elisha is this approachable person. And they come to him and say, look, the more we hang out with you, the more people keep gathering together and we've done reached a point where we don't have enough of." room to, to get close to you, let us please go down to the Jordan and near the water and when we can have water and we can gather together, we're going to build just a covering so that we, it, whether it's raining or whether it's sun shining, and we can get under it and you can teach us. And he says, that's a great idea. I like that idea. But they don't just end there, listen to what they say, please let us go down the Jordan. Let every man carry a beam. Then one said, please, consent to go with your servants. We we don't want to just do this for it. We want it to be, we want to be close to you. We want to be in relationship with you. We don't want to just build it and say, hey, come. But we want every step to be with you. Now, this is the process by which we start salvation. You're not saved yet. But what he's showing is, is that when we come to Christ, the problem is, is that we sell Christ that he just forgives you of your sins. And once we've prayed with someone that their sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ's death on the cross, they're kind of lost because it's like, okay, he must be more like Elijah. You don't mess with him. You don't bother him unless you have a big problem, unless you have a trial. You, you, you don't approach him this way. And so notice how this begins when we talk about salvation. It doesn't begin with being saved. It doesn't begin with, with, with your sins being. It begins relationally. Do you want to spend time with me? Have I told you things that, make, that interest you to want to know more about me? Jesus would say in the, in the New Testament, he would say, look, come unto me and find out that I'm lowly that I'm easy to approach, come with me. Come come near me and I'll sup with you and my father will sup with you. He doesn't say, come close to me and I'll forgive you of your sins. That's not what he says. He says, come close and we'll spend time. And the more we spend time, the more you're gonna wanna spend time with me. That's that's Jesus's personality. When I got saved, it wasn't because that I just needed my sins forgiven. I got that done when I was nine, ten years old. But what had to happen was up until that time, I would hear about him. I would hear stories about him i I would i would watch other people in relationship with him and it became interesting to me not to get my sins forgiven what it became i want him as my friend i want him in my life i want him to walk with me i want him to be a close to me and that becomes the mind some of us in this room today we're saved from the mindset of he forgave me of my sins but when we go out of this room, he's not with me in my car. He's not listening to me on the radio with me. He's not just going to eat with me. How do you know this, Brother Lot? Because when we sit down to eat, we'll just halfway already be started eating. And somebody will say, oh, we forgot to pray. Know what you did, you forgot he was with you. Hey, we need to pray. We, 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 need to, we need to get together and pray. Paul said, I pray without ceasing. What do you mean we got to go pray? He's always with me. And if I had to help someone in salvation, it wouldn't be, hey, we need, to, we need to pray the sinner's prayer. No, what I want you to do is, do you know him? What do you know about him? What have you heard about him? Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about my life. Let me tell you how he's walked with me. Let me tell you how he never gave up on me. Let me tell you that when I failed, he didn't. Let me tell you that you couldn't find a better friend. Let me tell you that when I was young and, and, and this blonde-haired, blue-eyed blind little kid and my parents moved about every two years to pastor a new church, that I would have to move to a new school. And I'd walk in that new school and people would say, well, you don't know anybody. No, I don't. Well, how in the world were you able to handle all that? It's real simple. I never went into any school by myself. I never walked into any situation by myself. I always had somebody with me. When I would go to the bathroom and and life would seem to be stressed, I could sit there on one of those toilets and I could just simply sit there and and say, God, it's a rough day. Lord, I'm going through it, but I know you're with me. Even at nine and ten years old, it was the relationship. I didn't sit down and just say, oh, thank you, my sins are forgiven. It's a horrible day, but thank you, my sins are... No, I got up and said, thank you that you're walking with me. Thank you that you're my best friend. Thank you that you're not going to leave me. Thank you that I can get through this. Thank you. Even as a young child, that was what was interesting to me. And for these, this is the way it's introduced. Then one said, please consent to go with me, with your servants. And he answered, I will go. Whether it's Jairus who says, please go to my house and pray for my daughter. I'll go. Hey, please come. Lazarus is dead. I'll come. Please, would you just hang out with me because I'm lonely? I'll I'll do it. Please, would you help me because I'm sick? I'll do it. Until you know him on that level of he cares about you. And he cares what's going on in your life right now. And he cares about what you're going through right now. And he cares about what hurts you right now. And more than anything else, he wants to be near you. And he wants to be close to you until you get that. Then salvation will just be a checking off something on your box. It will just be, well, I did that so I don't have to go back and do it. And then you'll wonder why I don't like going to church. And I don't, because you don't know him. You don't care about him. And I, when I say that, you care that he forgave your sin, but you don't have any desire to want to just open the Bible and say, I want to know you. I want to hear about you. I want to know more about you every day. I want to know where you came from. I want to know how you think. I want to know what you love. I want to know everything about you. You. Does this make sense? And he said, I will go. Verse 4 says this then in the process of relationship. So he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. So they were in the process of trying to do something for the Lord, they were in the process of trying to create a relationship. For those that come unto me Jesus will never force his relationship on you you have to prepare a place for him you have to invite him in you have to say it's what I want more than anything now something's going to happen in the process look at the person beside you and say you'll get saved what do you mean I'll get saved but I'm already saved because no no In the process of the relationship, you will get saved. You may get your sins forgiven. You may ask God to forgive your sins, but you won't ever be saved. You won't feel free from it until you first have relationship. And their desire is, we, we're wanting to build this to be close. We want we want to have a place to spend with you. We won't. So when they went with him, he came to the Jordan and they cut down trees. But as one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. And he cried out, alas, master, for it was... See, what happens in the relationship with the Lord is simple is that I begin the process of saying, I want to be close to you. I want to be near you. I'm going to do my best. Anybody ever do that? Hey, God, I'm going to do my best. to. You know, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to, I'm going to do. And what happens in that process? What happens is, What is revealed in us is our flaws. What's revealed in us is the shortcomings. What's revealed in you is the fact that you're not up to the task. What's revealed in you is that you make mistakes or you sin or you fail. And that's an awkward place to be in because you've done all of this to try to get close to the Lord. Why do people quit church? It's not because they want to get close to the Lord. It's because in their process of getting close to the Lord, what happens is something comes apart. Something falls to pieces. Something reveals itself. Something goes awry. Something happens. Maybe you go back and drink again and you you quit drinking. You're I'm going to go to church. I'm not drinking anymore. And then all of a sudden on one bad occasion, there you are again doing what you said you wouldn't do. Or maybe you go back and you you start smoking again. You done giving it to God. You done stood in front of the church and talked about how God delivered you. And then all of a sudden, there you are, back behind your shed one day. And you're back there smoking another cigarette. And you're like, God, I can't do this. When I try, it's falling apart on me. When I I try to get close to you, all that happens is it reveals the flaws. And he says, Master, it was borrowed. Our lives are borrowed. When we get close to him, the first thing we learn about ourselves is we're not our own. We were were bought with a price. We belong to him. You can't control your hair on your head. You can't control your height. You can't control whether you're going to be here tomorrow. You have no control over you living on borrowed time this morning, and you'll be living on borrowed time tomorrow. You belong to the Lord, whether you like it or not. And the closer I get to him, the more I realize it, and the more then I want to impress him, and I want him to know I'm sincere. But the problem is that within me, all of a sudden, something goes awry. And I find myself at some moment, and this could be the first time you meet him, it could be three months after you meet him. But it's got to happen because salvation is a process that must take place, and when it takes place properly, it changes your life. Asking God to forgive your sins doesn't change your life. We see people do it all the time. We teach kids to do it at VBS. Here, just say this prayer with me. Say, oh, we got 47 of them today. Did you? Did 47 of them really want to be in relationship with him? This man is not doing anything wrong. He's trying to do something good. Somebody would say, well, why in the world was he near the water cutting wood? Because he was trying to do it in the best way he knew how. Deuteronomy teaches that you be very careful when you're doing certain work and you're doing certain things. And he knew that, okay, I'm not going to have this axe head slinging toward everybody while I'm cutting wood away. No, what am I going to do? If it come off, which was normal in that time that one might come off, if it comes off, which way is it going? Toward the water, away. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I'm not trying to to cause any problem. I'm just trying to do something good. I'm trying in every way I can to do good. That's all I wanted to do was something good. And when I try to do good, and I just want Jesus to like me, and I just want God to know that I'm worth picking, and just when I want everybody to know that I'm not as sorry as I know I am, Dead gum axe head falls off. And he does what we have to do at that time. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water and he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. I can't fix it. I can't make it right. I messed up. What do you do when you messed up? When you can't make it right. When you can't fix it. You don't have the power. You don't have the ability. Notice what the Bible says. So the man of God said, where did it fall? Take me to the place That's why the Bible says if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, if we take him to the place, don't don't abstractly. I think we mess up in that. I've done this so many times when people are praying. They're they're starting to pray and they say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. And I'll look at them. I'll say, open your eyes. Tell me what the sin is. And then I get these big look. I'm like, tell me what the sin is. Because their eyes are dry to that moment. You ever notice? The eyes are dry. It's just, Lord, forgive me of all the stuff I've done. Forgive me of all the mess up. Forgive me for everything. and God, just, just have mercy on me. You need to tell them, open your eyes. Now tell me what it was. Tell me what you did. When nobody was around that night, tell me what you did. Nobody else knows about it, but you and God does, and the enemy does, and the devil does. So go ahead and tell me what you did. Confess your faults, one, two. Now, I'm not telling you to do that in front of just everybody. If they have have like 10,000 followers on their Facebook account, that's probably not the person you want, because they probably share most everything in their life. you would be very selective on who you give it to. But when you're standing there and someone's in front of you, you had better be able to say, this is it. If anything y'all have learned from Pastor Lot, I'm very open. I I, I, I try to be very honest about the stuff in my life, from depression and other things that I've battled. I, I, I have to. Why? Because God looks at me and says, Tim, name it. If you say I delivered you, what did I deliver you from, son? If I set you free, what were you free from? What were you bound in? You've got to be able to name it, and you've got to be able to take it. And here He says, take me to where it fell. And he showed him the place. And I love this. Do you notice where they're at? What river is this? <laughs> it's the Jordan River. Now, a few hundreds of years later, there'll be someone that's going to come down to the Jordan River. His name is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist will be telling people, come and get baptized for the what? Repentance of your, take me to the place. And John told them, bring the axe heads, bring the things that's fallen off, bring it into the water, and you're going to make repentance to those things. Oh, but even something better than that took place, because eventually, in the Jordan one day, here comes a man over the hill, and John looks at him and says, behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. He says, Lord, I need to be baptized of you. But Jesus says, no, no, let everything be done in its own time, in its own proper place, in its own way. And Jesus is baptized having no sin, but he does it in representing you. That's why later when he tells his disciples, go into all the world preaching the gospel and baptizing them, So if you're in this room today and you say, well, I believe, but I ain't been baptized, then you ain't a finished product. You better find somebody to get you in some water real quick because you ain't a finished product. It's part of the process of your life moving forward. You still have a little bit of rebellion. You still don't want to get your hair wet and you don't say, well, God, if I got to get my hair wet and I got to do it that way, I'll just not do it at all. Then that means you hadn't been saved yet. You hadn't been delivered yet. You hadn't been redeemed yet. You just simply are still playing around having a conversation. But when you get serious, you'll take him to the place where the axe head is. You'll take him to the place. And beyond that, even beyond the story I just told you of Jesus and John the Baptist, there's something that takes place. Notice what the prophet does. So the man of God said, where did it fall? And he showed him a place, so he cut off a... If, if he had had time, he would have he just cut on a whole tree. But he said a stick will represent it just fine. A stick will represent what I need it to represent. And the Holy Ghost moving on him said cut down a stick because there's one day gonna be a stick that's gonna change the world. There's one day gonna be a post. There's one day gonna be a cross. There's one day going to be a piece of wood. It's going to be something that they're going to hang him on. And when they hang him on that piece of wood, that piece of wood is going to change everything about creation. It's going to change everything that used to be normal. And it's not going to be normal anymore. What used to be natural is going to become supernatural. How do you know, pastor? Because notice what happens the moment he takes that stick. He says, so the man of God went in and grabbed this stick and he showed him a place, so he cut off a stick and threw it. The Jordan represents the place where you die. The Jordan represents the place where you're buried. You go down the old and you come up the... It's the place where I died to my past. I died to my sin, but I couldn't die by myself. It also took a stick to be able to do it. God said, you can go down in that water, Tim, but it ain't enough. There's gotta be a stick. There's gotta be some wood that's attached to it. And the prophet said, let me show you something that's coming in the future, and I'm gonna show you something that seems impossible, but to God, all things are possible. And he takes a stick, and he throws it right there where he said the ax head was. Went down where my sins took me down where my sins weighed too much lead iron was too heavy it carried me to the bottom it held me to the bottom the sin said you can't get up sin said you can't go i got you i'm gonna take you down in death i'm gonna hold you down in death but the bible says so he cut off the stick and threw it in the water and it made the iron Oh, you don't understand what I... See, there was a time when the enemy looked at Tim Lott and he said, Tim Lott, you have been so heavy and you've been drugged down so much and I know all the stuff you did and I know all the sins in your life. Yeah, but I said, I gave them to Jesus. I told him about those things. I said, oh, but it was too much Tim. It was way too much. You, you've gone way too far. You've done done too many things. God can't forgive you. I want to tell you something. As sure as iron can swim, as sure as metal can float, as sure as that, God says your sins can't be forgiven. Somebody in this room who lived what I lived ought to be able to clap their hands and understand that's what salvation is. Somebody in this room ought to say, "It wasn't no way I could swim back up. There was no way I could get back up. I was a piece of lead sinking to the bottom. But God said, oh no, by my grace, where sin abound, grace does much more abound. I'll make you swim where you couldn't swim. So when the enemy looks at you and says, you can't make it. Oh yes, I can. You've gone too far. Oh no, I haven't. If iron can swim, then I can rise. So that's why when we baptize you, we don't just dunk you and leave you. We don't just grab you by the nose and start and just say, Oh, they've done so much. It, too bad. <laughs> Wouldn't that be horrible? That'd be horrible. But like, I did this, this, and this. Oh, well, that's probably pretty heavy. You just need to go ahead and be gone. No. We go down the old man, the heavy, the weighted, the destroyed, the messed up, the depressed, the all broken to pieces, our past, and we come up the new man. We become lead that can swim. I don't know if any of y'all ever went through what I went through. If you did, I don't see how you're able to sit there. I don't see how in the world you can stand it. Some of y'all just got saved a little bit. Some of y'all was just a cork. Y'all didn't really have a whole lot of, you was kind of bobbing anyway. No, I was a piece of lead. When the enemy weighed me and said, here's Tim Lott, that boy don't have a chance. And God said, oh, yes, he does. Throw the stick in the water. Throw the cross across him. The cross can take care of what nothing else can take care of. It's just a piece of wood. No. It's my son's sacrifice. And it can handle the problem. Look at that person beside you and say, hey, ain't nothing the enemy can keep you saved from. Go ahead and tell them. Just brag about it. There isn't nothing, nothing, anything the enemy can keep you saved from. He can save you to the utmost. That's the first thing you got to grasp. And it begins with understanding who He is and how much He loves you. We try to celebrate it every Easter to try to remind you. But you've got to keep that ever present in your mind. That's why you put on the helmet of salvation. You protect your thoughts. When the enemy says, he doesn't love, oh, he loves me. God doesn't care, oh, he cares about me. I'm the apple of his eye. So, the first step in your process is there emotion attached? Absolutely. You see me getting emotional, there's emotion attached to it. But it also is the process that I have to go through. If I were to ask you today, have you confessed your sins? Have you, have you allowed God just to open your mouth and say, this is what I've done? Now, you don't have to get into the goriest of details. But you can look and say, hey, I slept around where I shouldn't have slept around. Hey, I, I was doing some stuff that, that I lied to a lot of people about that, that I was putting in my body. You don't have to go into detail, but you got to be honest. It's got to be something that you know that where the enemies used to break you with. God says, let me break it one more time. But this time when I break it, I'm coming in to replace what used to be there. If you haven't done that, then you know what it is to be forgiven of your sins. I'm not saying you don't. But you don't know what it is to be saved. It's always dragging you back. And you'll start preaching the stuff that normal people preach like that. Well, we all sin a little bit every day. Do we? I hate it. I don't know no life like that. We all cheat on our wife a little bit every day. We all, you know, lie a little bit every day. We all... No, we don't. You just asked for forgiveness, but you didn't want relationship. Relationship is what brings you out. You'll do for love what you won't do for anything else. So the first story we realized. So the man of God did this. Verse seven. Therefore, he said, pick it up for yourself. How do I know I've been saved? When I can reach back and I can tell you guys about things I've been through. My 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 depression or my you say, well, I don't. I've had people, pastors, tell me, I don't think I'd share all that stuff, Pastor. I'm like, what other story I got? That's my story. I wish it was prettier. I wish it was cleaner. I wish it was better. I wish I could say that's my story. That's how the enemy tried to kill me. That's how he tried to mess me up with with thoughts and pictures and and and, and just twisted truth and and that was his attack on my life. And the prophet just like Jesus says, now now go pick it up. Go pick it back up. It ain't going to hurt you the same way. You don't fear it the way you used to. Go pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and took it. Verse 8. So once we get salvation under, once we have true salvation in our life, which means we know we belong to him, we're in relationship with him. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. There's the second phase, second process that has to take place in your life, which is sanctification. You need to be sanctified. Now I get picked on this a a, a lot, questioned about this a lot. You know, do you believe in sanctification? Yes, I believe in a moment of sanctification. But now understand, there's also nuances to this. It'd be real simple to just say, here was the day I went to the altar and I got sanctified. There's really three sanctifications. Let me just be very clear. There's the moment of sanctification, which I believe in, very very much so. The Church of God, our, my, my teachings, it's biblical. The biblical understanding of sanctification. There's a moment where I'm sanctified. Something has changed, not just saved, but sanctified, which means I'm committed to Him. I'm wholly involved in Him. There's a change in my life that has taken place. I am committed in such a way now that there's no turning back. Now, even if I do that, anybody anybody ever get sanctified? And then two years later, be in a new situation, you realize, ooh, I ain't sanctified of that. Okay, well, that's 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 continual sanctification. I thought I was sanctified till I got married. Come on, men, help me out. You thought you were all godly and all that until you got married, and then all of a sudden you're like, I think about murder. Like, I never thought about murder before. But you know what I mean. I'm joking, but you know what I mean. It, in God puts you in a new situation. Guess what? (sighs) Ooh, that's a whole new battle right there. I was till I got that job and that job about to steal all my religion. I gotta be sanctified from this and sanctified from this situation. So in my life, this becomes the process. That sanctification continually will happen, and I'm going to tell you something. If God puts Tim Lot in a new, bigger, troublesome environment, which He's doing right now, and change it, guess what's going to happen? God, you got to sanctify the way I think. You got to sanctify some of my actions. You got to sanctify. You got to help me grow. And if it helps you out, well, Bro Lot, when do we finally get there? When you die. The third sanctification, Paul said. Until we finally die and this mortal puts on immortality and the carnal puts on the incarnate, you understand, you always going to be in the growing process. So don't beat yourself up. Don't get frustrated. Just realize that whatever God has chosen for me to grow in, I grow from glory to glory. I don't just get, oh, I got saved and then I got the glory. No, I go from glory to glory to glory. If you don't do this, If you think there's just one moment where you got it, let me tell you what you become good at. Hiding what you don't got. Because if you tell everybody you got it, there ain't ain't one way to hold that one on. It's for people to not be around you. And for you just to be able to show it ever so often, either from a stage or from something, I got it together. But I don't want you to see me and my family at home because, Lord have mercy, you would see me in a different light. So understand that sanctification works as a moment. God says, "Are you saved?" Yes. Then let me sanctify you through my word. Let me, me in relationship with you, grow you to where there's this moment where all of a sudden you step over a threshold and you're not the same anymore. And I remember in my life when those moments happened. I remember when God sanctified me. And the things that used to hold me didn't hold me. The things that used to bother me didn't bother me. Let me show it to you in a story now. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants saying, My camp will be in such and such place. And the man of God sent to the kings of Israel saying, Beware what you do not, that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down here. Then the king of Israel sent someone to place of which the man of God had told him, and thus he warned him. And and he was watchful there, not just once, but thrice. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled. So every time the king of Syria tried to entrap him, every time the king of Syria said, all right, we're going to set a trap. And and when Israel's troops come through here, we're going to have this trap set. And man, we're going to to catch them on this road at this time. And we're going to go set up over here. And every time he planned this, Elisha would tell the king, hey, they're going to be setting up over here on 3rd Street. Don't go down 3rd Street no more. And the next time he would set it up, he said, oh, "That didn't work." All right, we're going we're to set it up on, on, you know, down here on Harperville Road. We're going to set up on Harperville Road, and man, when well, next time the king and him come through Harperville Road, we're going to get them. And Elisha would send word to the king, "Don't go down Harperville Road right now. The Syrians are over there." And it was frustrating to this king of Syria. He was greatly troubled by this thing, and he called his servants and said, "Will you not show me which one of us is telling the king of Israel where I'm going?" Somebody in this room, every time I tell y'all we're going to do this, runs to the king of Israel and says, don't go there anymore. And listen, therefore the heart of the king of Syria was messed up. Verse 12, and one of his servants said, none, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your, how do I know what sancti- sanctification means, I don't run into problems anymore. I'm now beginning to listen to God and I'm, I avoid them. How do I know I'm sanctified? Because the way I deal with problems, the way I deal with situations, the way I deal with life is totally different than just saved and then hoping I don't mess up anymore. Now it's like God says, don't go down there no more. Tim, don't, don't, don't hang out with that one anymore. But Lord, that's, I, I, you don't want any trouble. I'm teaching you how to be sanctified. I'm teaching you how to follow. I'm teaching you how to listen. Boy, Pastor lot everything just works out good for you. It sure does. Because God already knows what the enemy's trying to do to me. God already knows what the enemy's plans are. And he always gives me the alternative routes every single time and says, if you just do it this way, Tim, we're going to get to the end. Ain't nobody going to get hurt. When you're not that way, what do you do? Y'all just pray for me. Devil been wearing me out this week. Well, if you quit running into him all the time, he wouldn't keep wearing you out. Look at the person beside you and say, Don't you know he's setting traps? He's trying to trap you in what you say. He's trying to trap you in where you go. He's trying to trap you in what you watch. He's trying to trap you in all different, and that's why you have to be sanctified from what you're watching, sanctified from what you listen to, sanctified from what you think about, sanctified from all. There has to be a moment in your life where you're like, look, I'm not in this thing just to get whooped on anymore. I'm in this thing to win. I'm gonna be sanctified by his word, by what he's telling me, and the king is saving himself. The enemy is getting frustrated because Israel is being sanctified by the word of God. Don't do this. Go this away. Don't go there. And they're doing it and it's frustrating the enemy. One of his servants said, it isn't us. It's that prophet down in Israel. He, he, I love how he says this. He tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. He said, why are you sleeping at night mumbling it in your sleep? He said, he's there watching you. Oh, so that's what you're thinking. He said, he's all up in your head. Can I give you something? The enemy, the devil, will never come up with nothing that God hasn't already seen it coming before it gets there. The enemy may catch you by surprise because you're not sanctified. But the enemy will never catch the Lord by surprise. And you want to live a good life, then live sanctified. Because sanctified means I don't have to keep running into him around every curve. I don't have to keep falling into every trap. I'm sanctified to the Lord. I go where he tells me to go. I do what he... And it works out for me every single time. Let me hurry. So he said, go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told that he was in, that he was in Dothan. Now, this is interesting. Therefore, he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Now, think about this. What is, has what is Elisha been doing to the king all this time? He's been knowing what he's going to do. And so the king has this new great idea. Shh, shh, don't tell nobody. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go by night and go down to Dothan and we're going to surprise him. Think of how ignorant that is. The man that knows what you're thinking, you're going to sneak up on him. But that's the way the devil thinks. He, he's so dumb and he's so ignorant in his ways because he doesn't realize it. Doesn't, he's full of pride and he's like, I'll show you. And God said up there like, you do know. I know what you're doing. You do know, I know what you're trying. You do know, I'm going to go ahead and give my people a way out. every time, Isn't that what he promised you? For whatever God the enemy brings, he said, I will always make a way of escape. So the enemy knows that every time he comes against you, God has already had a built-in escape system in every situation he brings. Oh, I wish you understood that. So when the enemy brings something... And you're like, oh, Lord, we're going through this, brother. Look for the escape hatch. Brother Lott, boy, this happened. and Man, we're not ready. Hey, look for the escape hatch. Because God did not allow anything on you that he didn't already build a way of escape. Now, you may have to go through some. It may be for his glory. It may have to be a trial that you don't really like. But don't worry about it. When it's all said and done, he will get glory from this. And it's going to be better than when it started. Brother lot, you believe that? Yeah. Because I'm sanctified, don't you? Quitting ain't an option. It's just how good it's going to get. I don't ever worry about it. A preacher the last few nights, he was preaching that that same stuff. And and I'm I'm just sitting back there like, that's good stuff. I hope they get it. That's good stuff. I've been living this stuff for a while. I hope they get it. That God likes you. God wants to bless you. But our problem is we see the trials, and we don't see our lives through sanctification. Let me show you the difference real quick. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army. So God gives us a little bit of contrast. The man of God, he's sleeping in Dothan. Now let me explain what Dothan is. The only other time Dothan is ever mentioned. This is where the brothers of Joseph catch him Throw him in a pit and sell him. Joseph at this place is sanctified unto God. Joseph will later say, you meant it for, but God meant it for, I ain't got two hours to preach that. But that's a good study if you want to do it this week. Dothan, you meant it for evil. You thought you were doing something, but God had an escape hatch. God said, oh, Joseph, don't worry about it, son. You're going to end up in Potiphar's house. And when I bless you there, you're going to end up in jail. Well, that don't sound good. Don't worry about it, son, because there you're going to meet a baker and you're going to meet a a servant of of the king of of Egypt. And you know what? At due time, when it's just right, I'm going to spring out and you're going to become second in command. You're going to save not only your family one day, but you're going to save all of Egypt just because I had an escape hatch built into your life. Man, do you realize God's got that for you going on all the time? The servant gets up and he don't see none of this. Look at the person beside you and say, I'm not sure he's saved. Let me just go ahead and help you. He's not. Later, he will end up with leprosy because... uh, He decides to take what he can see versus what the Spirit says, don't touch. He's not sanctified. We're not sure he's saved. And when you're not sure you're saved and you sure ain't sanctified and you wake up in the morning and something bad happens, it's going to scare you. How do you know, Brother Lot, I'm not sanctified? Because you live in fear. Because you ain't laid down what's in your past. You don't trust him in the relationship. So then it's very hard to sanctify yourself that he's going to take care of you. When the servant of the man of God rose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Now, doesn't that sound real familiar to the guy that once had lost his axe head? Alas, master, it was borrowed. Alas, master, what are we going to do? What are we in the physical going to do to fix this problem? Verse 16. So he answered, do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray you open the eyes of that he may see. He says, look, I know he ain't right. (laughs) I know he ain't got it together, but just for a moment, God, would you just indulge me and just let him see what I can see? Just for a moment. Anybody ever pray that for your kids? I do. God, I know they ain't right there yet, but could you just for a moment let them open their spiritual eyes and see what you're doing in the middle of all of their natural life? I pray that for you a lot of times. Lord, I know they're struggling and I know they're fussing and I know they can't understand. Would you just let their spiritual eyes open just long enough for them to realize that God, you got this. You're gonna make something good out of this. All things are world gonna work to good to those who love you and are called according to you. Would you let them know they are more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens them? Will you just let them realize just for a second that an enemy can't defeat them, that they're gonna overcome it, that they're going to be champions, that they're already seated in high places with you and that their feet is already on top of every problem that they're going through would you just let them know for just a moment they're not what they used to be but they're reigning and ruling with you in heavenly places would you just let them know for just a moment that they're heirs and joint heirs to the kingdom of God that they're the children of the most high would you just let them know that if that enemy comes at them one way he's gonna run seven ways because he's not gonna bring them down today That's what he wants. (laughs) Open his eyes, Lord. And he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down, and I'm going to just make this fast. The Syrians start to come down. They're surrounded. They they got them. And Elisha said, Lord, blind every one of them. And God does. They all are stricken with blindness. And then Elisha and his servant walks out of the city of Dothan. Walks up on the hill says, which one of y'all is the captain? Me. Well, you're in the wrong place. Who are you looking for? Elisha. Well, you need to follow me. I'll show you where he's at. And you can see this whole army with chariots. And they're all just. And he fought, take, takes them all the way to Samaria. Takes them inside the gates of Samaria. Where all the army of Israel is, and you got people standing on top of the gate with bow and arrows, you got people with spears, you got people surrounding them with swords, thinking, What in the world? And Elisha says, Lord, you can open their eyes again. And when they did, they realized we in a world of hurt. We we in the wrong place at the wrong time. They so excited in Israel that the king says twice, he's like, Shh, do I kill him? Can I kill him? Can I kill him? And Elisha says, Calm down, boy. He said, No. What do you do with POWs? What do you do with them? You take care of You, you, you don't kill them. You've already won. You've already captured them. What are you trying to kill them for? You act like you ain't, ca- they're yours. Here's what you do give them some bread and some water. Send them back to their master. Send them, back, send them back to Syria and let them tell the story of what happened to them when they came over here. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says they raided the land of Israel no more. When that word got back there, they didn't even have no raiding power. They just wanted to go back to Israel. Like, you want to go to Israel? Shoot, the last group that went over, go blind. Man, you think I'm crazy? We'll, we'll find food somewhere else. I am not messing with them folks no more. Let me show you what sanctification does. And I'm through. Go with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 31 and 6. I'm going to show you some scriptures real quick. And I'll wrap it up. Deuteronomy 31 6 says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor... That's what sanctification is. Look at the person beside you and say, That's sanctification. It's not being saved. It's knowing that I can go into any battle knowing the Lord will not forsake me. He's not going to leave me. Let me me show it to you again. Go to Hebrews 13 and 5 just to make sure. You say, well, that's Old Testament, Brother Lod. Well, here's what he says. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Look at the person beside you and say, that's what being saved and sanctified is. It's not that you got baptized, not that you just got your name on a plaque. It's not that anybody signed you up for to be part of the All Seasons Worship Center. Nope. There's a change that's happened in your life. Battles don't look the same anymore. You don't see problems the same way anymore. If you still see problems the way you did, then you haven't been saved and sanctified. And you can't go into the big fight. We're going to talk about the big fight next week. We're going to talk about when you got nothing to lose. But you can't take on a big fight until you finally get these two right you got to get these two right. And then you can do the stuff that blows your mind. Go with me in your Bibles to Psalms 34, 7 through 9. Here's what it says. The angel of the Lord encamps about all around those who and does what? Delivers them. This is what verse 48 says, or verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who... Oh, fear the Lord. You his... There is no want for those who fear. Do you see the picture? That's what Elisha is trying to show his servant. Can't you see it, son? All I see is an army. Lord, just for a moment, let him realize the angels of the Lord are encamped about me. Do you realize when you walk out of this place today, the angels of the Lord are walking with you. They're surrounding your car. They're surrounding your house. They're surrounding your kids when they go to school. Do you realize who you are? Do you realize when you're walking this earth that you're not just some pitiful little thing getting through, but you are transforming every place wherever your foot hits the ground. It becomes your territory. Favor will follow you. Goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. The Spirit of the Lord will go before you and grace will go before you and already open doors and unlock Doors and, and lock doors that need to be locked way before you ever get there. Let me show it to you some more. Go with me to Romans 12 19 through 20. Here's what it says Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Says the Lord. How do I know I'm sanctified, Brother Lot? My trust level. And then secondly, my give level. How do I know I'm sanctified? My trust level. And my what? My give level. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, let me show you. If I trust the Lord, then I don't have to defend myself, fight for myself, do the king is like, Do I kill him? Do I kill him? And, and Elijah said, No, you feed him. What? Yeah, yeah, feed them. And then send them home. They ain't no challenge for you. They just POWs in a war. When I run across people and, and, and the victory, t- I don't st- well, show them. No. Look, let me take you out to eat and explain what happened to you. Son, you just picked the wrong side of the battle. Look, it wasn't your fault. You just picked the wrong side, son. Every time you pick that side, you're going to lose. You understand. I'm not mad at you. Here, I'll I'll buy you dinner today. After all I did against you, it don't matter. You can't do nothing against me. Do you understand that anything you try to do against me, God's just going to turn it for good? Do you understand who you're fighting against, son? Imagine if the world was full of Christians that thought like that. If your enemy is... Anybody got any enemies? Boss you don't like? Children you don't like? Parents you don't like? You know what you need to do today? You need to get saved and sanctified. How do I know I got there? Your trust level is going to go way up about God. And your give level is going to go way up about the people you don't like. See, some of you can't do that today. I ain't doing that. I know. Good luck on that fight and that battle yourself. Good luck on trying to find happiness yourself. Good luck on trying to pick Mr. Right yourself. Good luck on trying to pick that bar hopping girl you want so bad yourself and hope she lives right and acts right. Good luck on that life you keep trying to do yourself. I'm just going to be saved and sanctified. I'm just going to win the battles. Now you can get mad at me, you can dislike me, but I like winning. Anybody like winning? Raise your hand if you like winning. Now, if you like losing, raise your hand. You just like losing. You're used to it. You've gotten used to it. You just you enjoy it. I just like losing. Well, go ahead. I like winning. And a long time ago, I picked a winning side. I picked a winning side. Here's what he says Romans 19, verse 19 and 20. Did I read? Yeah. Uh, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap upon his head what? How am I gonna win my enemies, brother Lot? How am I gonna love on them? Yeah, but they take advantage of me. Well, that's where God takes care of your head. The trust level has to be high, the give level has to be high. And you believe that God can have, if God can blind a bunch of Syrians and walk them into Samaria, if God can handle all the stuff that Elisha is trying to show, don't you think he can handle your problem? Let me give you a secret. And it's the secret you need. Every problem you have is little. Look at that person beside you and say, your problem is little bitty. See, that hurts you, doesn't it? Because you're like, no, my problem's big. I'm telling you, I'm going through. You don't know what we'll Pastor Locke. I don't know what he's talking about. No, no, I do because let me show you the second part of that phrase. Your problem is little bitty because there's no problem too big for your God. They go with you on that one for about a week and just let it. Every time you say, I got a problem. But compared to God, it's little bitty. I got a problem. But compared to my God, it's little. See, you just keep saying, I got a problem. Yeah, compared to you, it's big. But if you're saved and sanctified, I'd walk in like an Elisha and say, but they we're surrounded. Oh, no, but what surrounds me has been surrounded by God. And there's a whole lot more of them than there is the enemy that's trying to get me. It's a little bitty problem in my life. Go with me to Luke 6, 27 through 36, and I'm through. Took me a while. This is half, half. I'm halfway through. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. This is Jesus. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who... Anybody cussed you out lately? When they do it, you just stick your hand up and say, God, bless them. Give them a new car. Give them a better house. Give them a better job. But a lot. Well, you want to just cuss them back and think you're going to win? I feel better. <laughs> yeah. And pray for those who spitefully, who you know is taking advantage. Pray for them. This is Jesus. To him who strikes you. On one cheek, offer the other. Of him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold the tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that for you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who only do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive it back always, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive much bad. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be, do you trust God? I've spent my entire life building one style of church in all seasons. A servant church. There are two types of churches that there are. There are worship churches and there are servant churches. Worship churches are easy to build we just need to get you emotional every week just need to get you on you fired up get have to have a lot of revivals cuz you'll get go through the problems That's gonna suck it out of you real fast so we have to keep bringing in people keep pumping up the troops have to keep but it's pretty simple not a whole lot of brain it works there's churches successful churches big worship churches but you get, it's work it's a lot of work you know what i'm saying it's it's a lot of work keeping everybody oh lord But the servant church is different. Servant church says, I'm just going to love you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm gonna, come on. What are you doing it for? Nothing. I'm just going to do it because I love you. People are going to take advantage of you. Yeah, they will. That's their job. People are gonna lie to you. Yeah, they do all the time. But I wouldn't be here if I hadn't trusted him to be bigger than the problem. But love your enemies, do good, lend, hoping for nothing, and your reward will be great, and you will be the the sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and the that saved and sanctified. Bro, where do I begin? Well, you probably are in the house of somebody you can do that with, right well, first off. The one you keep growling at and fussing at, why don't you smile at them? Why don't you hug them? Why don't you, why, don't you, why don't you just start right where you're at? Yeah, but they don't treat me worth nothing. That's the whole point. It starts right where you're at. The next person you're in front of. And you're trusting God to make the difference. And God will never let you run short. He's promised. Will you stand? If you're in this place today, You say, Pastor, that's, you have nailed me. I mean, you have nailed me. Then good. That's good. Because I don't really want you to live one more day hoping your flesh, that yourself can fix all that's going on in your life. I don't want you deceived one more moment just thinking, well, I asked him to forgive me and I don't understand why my life. is because he wants to save you. He wants to save you from what you were. Not just forgive you, but save you from And then he wants to be in such good relationship that he can sanctify you. And you and him together can overcome anything the enemy throws at you. Anything. Any situation. Any circumstance. Greater is he that's in you than anything that's in this world. So I'm not going to play games this morning. If you're in this room and you say, Pastor, I've asked God to forgive me. I've done all that. But what you're saying this morning is totally different than my walk. It's totally different than the way my life works at home. It's totally different than how I act at work, how I treat people. And I can't argue because it's the Word. It's what Jesus told us to do. It's, 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 I can't argue. But I don't have it in me to do it. So I need Him. I need Him to come in. I need Him to save me. Remove the junk. And fill me with Him. His presence. His love. I need to grow to where I trust Him beyond anything else in this world. Where does it start, Pastor? It starts with us coming and confessing our sins. This morning, it's a process. It's you stepping out, you coming down, you just kneel at an altar. You don't even have to have me. But whatever you say at this altar needs to be real. Real doesn't need to be, God, forgive me. You know, I messed up. You know, I've done some stuff. No, no. You need to be honest. God, I said things to my wife that I should never have said. God, I've been absent in some ways that I shouldn't have been absent. God, I've hung out in places I shouldn't have hung out. God, I've, God I'm asking you to save me from myself. Save me. If that's you in this place this morning and you're ready, You're tired of just being the forgiven, the messed up forgiven. But you're ready to be the sanctified saint. A child, a son of the Most High. And I want you to step out this morning. I want you to find you a place. And I want you to be serious with the Lord. I want you to say, God, I can't do it. Like the man who lost the axe head, I can't make it swim. But you can't. Like the servant who couldn't figure out how you're going to handle this battle. It's too many against me. You can't. If you're in this place today and you say, Pastor, that's me, then I want to give you this opportunity. I I don't care if one comes or or a thousand come. It's not that. I have to give you this opportunity because I don't want you to come back ten years from now when your life is all on the rocks. And you're like, I don't know what happened. I'm going to look at you square in the eyes and I'm going to tell you point blank. I'm going to tell you what happened. There was a moment where I called you into the altar and you knew where you were stuck and you knew what you were doing and you knew what you were playing with, but you kept playing it. You kept thinking it didn't matter and it wouldn't hurt you. And I told you it was going to bite you. I told you the enemy was going to kill what he could kill out of your life. And you're not going to be able to look that day and say, oh, I didn't know. This is not a game. This is your life. Either the life that God has for you or the life the enemy wants for you. This morning you choose. Father, I have delivered it the best I can. Holy Spirit, now you. You touch your people and you move upon that person whose life right now is hid behind those shadows but it's not hid at all. God, you're trying to call them out to fix, to save them. And I thank you. In Jesus' name, thank you, Father. Amen and amen. Next week, I'll show you what it's like to live with nothing to lose. I'll show you what the next level looks like. Hey, if you get a chance this week, just go give it old devil Fitz. He deserves every bit of it.